the leopard just sat there, froze, didn't move a muscle looking at us. Then suddenly it dropped down on all fours on its belly and it crept along the ditch and out of sight. And everyone just looked at each other in disbelief thinking, wow, was that real what we just saw? You say, well, I've seen this big cat, and some people just flatly refuse. They think that Britain's such a sweet little island, we shouldn't have predators that size. I heard this growl behind me, nothing like a dog's growl. And just like anything else in life, you're sat on your own there. I don't care who you are, how brave you are. Something like that will put the shivers up your spine. As she was walking before the cub came out, she flicked this tail. She literally flicked it in the air. And I simply could not believe what I was seeing. It was the most extraordinary feeling. It threw its head back, he said, and it made this sort of round. But when you actually realize that there are big cats living in Britain, it changes everything. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. Why are unofficial big cats being seen and could these cats even be naturalizing without us knowing? If you've had a big cat encounter in Britain and would like to discuss it, email me at rick at bigcatconversations.com. You can find other episodes on the website bigcatconversations.com. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of Big Cat Conversations. We are in the middle of the Forest of Dean in Gloucestershire, again, because we were in a pub in the Forest of Dean last episode. But last episode, we didn't hear of any reports or sightings from the forest itself. This week, we're going to be full on with several sightings, including mother and cub reports in the local area. And last week we're in a pub, this week we're in a camper van. Neil, thank you for coming along. I know you live south of the Forest of Dean. And Alan, welcome. Hello. And thanks for hosting us in your camper van, Alan. You're uh, very welcome. And it certainly makes a snug environment looking out all over the forest. Alan, can you start by telling us what happened in this very spot about a couple of weekends ago, wasn't it, with the thermal camera at hand? Yeah, well, we were out. It was a Saturday night. It was very windy, very stormy night. It was a good night to be out, actually. We had been walking around the area and we decided to uh, do some calling in uh, using a distress call and using the thermal camera. And we were stood on the crossroads just in front of us and we were sort of rotating as we were calling. And as I looked down the hill with the thermal camera, I noticed a cat. It came out, it was about 150 yards ahead of us and it came up from the little lake that we can see and it came through a hole in the fence. But... That's where we saw it coming from. And then it came out onto the road. It stopped, looked at us, and then just disappeared into the woods. It was a very brief sighting, but it was clear. It was a good night to be out. Plenty of moonlight, and the thermal was working really well. The sceptic's going to say, of course, how come you did not record it on your thermal camera? My thermal camera doesn't record. It needs an upgrade to record, so it's a specialist thing, and I can't get it upgraded in this country. It's an American make. And has that incident motivated you to sort that out? Because it would have been excellent, presumably, if you could. Yeah, I'm still trying to find someone in this country. I don't want to send it to America. That's yeah. going to take too long, and there's too many implications with that. Yeah. But if I get someone to do it in this country, definitely I'll get it done, because yeah. it is a valuable thing to have on it. How beneficial was the sighting with the thermal? Presumably it amplified it for your viewpoint uh, much better than the naked eye. Oh, yeah. The thing about thermal is the thermal camera I have, it will pick up a heat signature at 400 metres. So what you see is very clear. We were out last night and we could see deer very clearly, but the cat, it just shone. You know, you could absolutely see what it was and the detail on it. The hair underneath his body and stuff like that was showing up. So, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic picture. Excellent. But it was very brief. Yeah, okay, fine. And Neil, who's with us, had a part to play in this because he sort of called it up with his distress call. Is that right? Yeah. You can use a distress call that you blow in manually or what I also use is an app on my phone and play it through a Bluetooth speaker. And that, that works really well as well. 
you're basically doing what hunters do is sort of make the distress call of something like a rabbit in uh, that's sort of injured the predator thinks they've got an easy yeah. something to snaffle and you've done a decoy distress and you get to see or shoot the creature that turns up of course you're you're only shooting it with a camera yeah yeah that's the main thing is that we are only shooting it with a camera so um yeah and it works really well it works with all animals so you do get a lot of foxes coming in with it, though. That's the problem. Yeah. But, you know, where there's where there's prey, there's a predator. Yes. Neil, welcome. And could you give us a demonstration of what you did with your caller? Brilliant. Thank you. And if we had Frank Tunbridge to hand, who's in our ranks, he just does it manually. He, he doesn't need any whistle or whatever. He's just learned to do it. And I've seen him do it in the field by my house and whistle up a fox very well. Neil, did you get to see this creature? No, I did not. No, he had the thermal imaging and I was in the dark. I couldn't see a thing. But you believed him presumably with his report his and everything? said everything, yeah. It was, um, he was hyperventilating and swearing a fair bit and Brilliant. So, yeah. Very good. And as a result, Neil, you've come back. You were you were here through the night last night. I stayed here the night. I've put cameras up and done the whistling. Also, in the safety of my van, I was a little bit nervous being out in the dark on my own. Mm-hmm. I am yet to see what's on the cameras, but I lay in hope. So Excellent. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was another windy night last night, and that can be good for predators being about, can't it? Because they use that wind to mask their movement. and They do, yeah course it's a disadvantage for us because we can't hear anything coming yeah um, i had a a few visitors of boar last night which bumped into me van which was a little bit nerve-wracking but yeah you partly expect that in the in the middle of the forest of dean oh absolutely it's a regular regular thing yeah i remember you and i looking for camera locations a couple of summers ago neil and we must have walked within a couple of meters of a big male boar and as we'd gone past, it shot out, and it had obviously left us alone. It had been disturbed, and it went the other way, deliberately avoiding us. And it was just remarkable how close we were without realising it. Absolutely. And you start thinking how many cats are hiding in this dense undergrowth. The same, you know, they do hide and just watch. You know, they wouldn't move unless they're disturbed or they feel threatened. Yeah, and another option is that they've heard us come in the sort of middle distance and they've just moved on before that because the hearing is so good they don't want the risk of disturbance. So, again, we're not going to encounter them very easily. That moves us on to your encounters. Now, you've both had several encounters. And, Alan, can we start by you just explaining why you've managed to have... I think that one with the thermal camera was your fifth over years. Now, yeah. to the sceptics who say, well, you're pretty lucky to see one big cat in your life, especially if there's not many around. How come you claim to have seen five? What's your answer to that, Alan? It's time in the woods. I worked in the outdoor industry. I ran my own survival school and survival business, and part of that was we taught animal tracking, and we taught we took photographers out into hides, show them how to show them how to find their place in the woods when they're trying to get a good photograph. And to do that, you needed to have a really good knowledge of the wildlife that was in that area. If people want to see a stag, you had to know where that was, or a boar, or you know whatever type of animal. So I spent the majority of my time in the woods. I was either teaching in the woods or I was sitting in the hide watching for wildlife. And that's the only way that you do it. You won't see wildlife sitting on the internet. You have to be in the, in the forest and really spend that time and get to know the area. The more time you spend in that area, you'll get to know the wildlife. You'll get to see tracks, sign, scat, all those sorts of things. And you start to build up a picture. And I've done that with cats as well. And I'm, I'm starting to do in this area especially, is starting to see where the animals come from, where it's going. Why is it coming here? Um, and what is going through its head. That's a, It's trying to get into the animal's head is the main thing that I do. So, Well, that's very interesting. You're on the case in this very spot. It's not in an area where there's lots of recreation, lots of local dog walkers. It's its, its own little sort of uh, no-man's land, isn't it? Of course, it does have people pottering about, but you're not going to get full-on disturbance like you are in some places in the Forest of Dean or Gloucestershire. And I think because it's slightly on the edge of a, a built-up area, let's say, it's slightly out of the town, what happens is that the majority of the wild life gets pushed out and it congregates in this area so because it's on the outskirts of an area that's populated there's a really a good population of food here you know there's deer there's boar 
So, yeah, it's a nice area. And it connects with other areas where there's been sightings. Yeah. Now, all your previous sightings, Alan, you weren't expecting to see a big cat. You were being stealthy and semi-hidden to watch wildlife, uh, but not expecting a cat. You weren't there deliberately trying to stalk out cats. No. The thing with putting up hides is that you put up a hide and then you'll find that actually there's a mountain bike track comes down through the middle of it. Or you'll find that it's a very popular spot for, you know, joggers or dog walkers. Or So you're constantly moving. You know, you're constantly looking for that perfect spot where you can just get peace and quiet and nice wildlife. And, yeah, you, you're just always trying somewhere new. Adjusting and tweaking. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'll hear about those sightings in a minute. And can we just start with Neil? Because, Neil, two summers ago, in the middle of Forrester Dean, about probably 10 miles away from here, we won't say the precise location, you found yourself creeping up on a little cat and you didn't quite realise what was happening until another cat emerged on the scene. Can you tell us about that, what happened? It was... Um on the evening, the sun had uh, just on its way down. There's nobody around, very quiet. And um, as I approached the gate, I seen up the dead straight track, which looked like a little cat, but almost looked woolly like a bear. I knew it was something different, very strange. As soon as I got a little bit closer, I realised it, it definitely was a cat. It just didn't look right. So I got my uh, camera phone out and uh, zoomed in at it. But it, it does pixelate terrible mobile phones. So um, I took the picture. I lowered the camera and crept towards it to get closer. Unfortunately, with the gravel, the little animal had seen me and ran the opposite direction. With that, when I sort of cussed myself, like, I wish I took more pictures, The what I, I assume was the mother, a much, much larger cat, had jumped straight into the middle of the track and one leap and, and gone again after the little one. But what did stand out was the length of the tail. It wasn't a huge cat, I would say, probably... Not much larger than a spaniel, but certainly no domestic. Well, we may, if we get your permission, put the picture on the, on the website under this episode so people can look at it and draw their own conclusions. But that's your call. We'll, we'll discuss that later. But that's, Yeah, no, no problem with that at all. Yeah, and that, that's lovely because, again, to the sceptic, it's a sort of cat which could be a feral or a domestic that's but although it's a long way from any residential areas but it's got that chunkiness hasn't it it, it does um, even as a photograph it makes you think that looks a little bit different and of course you saw it for real with the big one accompanying it and what did they do just sort of darted off and, and melted away into the forest yeah well there's lots of um long grasses and woods uh, with the bracken and they just disappear so easily just gone did you loiter around to see if they were still about I hung around there for um, a good hour and a half to two hours, searching, looking. I thought I could try and um, head them off by going around the outer path to head them off to get to the direction where they were going. In fact, I was so excited, I I do believe I rang you at the time to say what I've seen. I was a little bit uh, excited. Yeah, I've heard many, many people on the phone minutes after they've had a big cat call, and you really can pick up the conviction and the emotion. I um, learn a lot from that, from hearing people's witness reports, and you, I think you can tell if people are exaggerating or telling porkies or whatever. They all seem real to me, and yours did. I remember how excited you were. And, of course, you were very motivated to stake out the place and see if you could put cameras up and repeat visits. And, in fact, next episode, we're going to hear from a gentleman who had a similar experience right outside the front of his car, uh, mother and cub, and he didn't even know big cats existed in Britain. So we're going to hear a similar report next episode. And he said he hung around for two hours to, to see if he could see them again. So thanks, Neil. We'll, we'll come back to sort of more reports in a minute. And so, um, Alan, you've not seen a mother and cub, but your wife has, it, apparently. Yeah. Well, Did she, we hear about that? She didn't see the mother. She saw the cubs. So we used to, when we ran the outdoor pursuits business, we did three-day canoe trips on the river. Um, this is the River Y. River Y, yeah. And some three-day trips, some four-day trips. Our last stopover, my wife used to come and replenish food because we'd always get low on food. So she used to wait for us. Or she'd be waiting with the trailer to pick us up. She wasn't allowed to drive down and wait beside the river, so she had to wait until we arrived. And they were waiting on a in, a in the forest by a gate and looking into the field down onto the River Y. My son was with him. And uh, they were sat in the car and they were just chatting. And my son said, oh, mum, look at the kittens. Look at the kittens. And she said, where? And just in the hedge line, she saw. Uh, first, there was a couple of kittens and they were just rolling about and they were playing. 
and they were coming into the field, then darting back into the hedge, coming out, coming in. And they did this for quite a while. They watched them for quite a while. But what they soon realized was the, the conversation turned to, wow, they're really big kittens. They're really big kittens. And then they started to say, oh, actually, that's that's something not quite right. And they hadn't, they weren't really into the cats at that time. So they were a bit puzzled. But she described them as definitely spaniel-sized. Mm. What, so, what sort of colour? They were black, but they were mottled. They had like, uh, she described them as having little splurges of, of colour on them. And when she went home and she Googled it, the image that she found that was definitely the match was a panther. A black leopard. Yeah, yeah. Left. yeah. Interesting. Cub. Yeah. So, and that was, she was adamant that's what she'd seen. She wasn't sure if there was three or four because they kept coming in. She definitely saw three at one time, but they were coming in out of the hedge. Most of the reports I've had of cubs, it's only been one or two. When they get older, they often just have the one cub, mm. the mother. Um, so that's three or four. That's very interesting. It's what she saw, and I'm not going to argue with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. Okay, well, can we move on then to maybe your best one that you have seen in most detail and that's probably um, affected you most because it was so profound? Well, we were sitting in a hide. Uh, I was sitting in a hide on my own. And... Quite often when you're sitting there, you, you, lots of people see when they're sitting in hides, they see people coming towards them and they, they think, oh, no, that's, it can be a good thing sometimes because the wildlife actually will get pushed towards you. So quite often, if there's the distant sounds, it works to your advantage. Sometimes you hear a dog barking off in the distance and it'll push the wildlife towards you. So it, I was sitting in a hide and I, was, I had a good view over a valley. I was sitting there, there was nothing really about, and I heard chatter and I heard people... And I thought, oh, well. And I was looking across, and across the valley, sort of, I would say, as far as we could see here, what would that be, 200 yards, maybe 150 yards? Mm -hmm. There was a path coming down the side of the hill, and there was a group of ramblers. And I thought, okay. And they were quite elderly, and they were making a lot of noise. So I just thought, oh, well, bust. You know, because nothing was moving. And they were obviously having a good time because they were making lots of chatter, lots of bubbly and then I just noticed behind them a black shape. It was above them on the track, but sort of walking parallel with them, about, I would say, 50 yards behind them. And as they were walking down, this shape was following them. I got the binoculars on it, and sure enough, it was a big cat. It wasn't stalking. It's hard to explain. It kind of like was like it was more curious because it kept sort of bobbing its head to the side, sort of looking down. It wasn't fussed by them. I watched that for a good, oh, a good time. And as they came down the hill, and then they sort of dropped out of my sight and the cat just turned and walked up into the woods. That was my best sight because I watched that through a set of binoculars and I could see it so clearly. It was a beautiful animal. Yeah. And they had no idea about this. Presumably. Absolutely clueless. If I had thought they were in danger, I would have shot it. Mm. But just that... Uh, you know, you get to know animals, like you, the boar. You get to know when you come across a boar on a path, if he's aggressive. You know, you read the body language. And the, the body language of that cat just said, no, I'm just I'm just having a look. And it was it was a really, yeah, that's, that's the one that blew the lid. Could you describe it, form and behavior and features? I'll go with the, the usual anecdote, Labrador. Long, th three and a half, four foot, tall, good, sleek, very, very powerful animal. You just look fit and healthy, you know, and, of course, the massive long tail. There was no twitching that you would associate with aggression. You know, it just, it was completely relaxed, but massively powerful. You could see the, the sinew, the bone, the, you know, the, just the muscle on the shoulders. It was a, it was a fantastic looking animal. Mm. Observing what was happening in, its, in its patch, yeah. It was just, it was, yeah, caretaking. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's what I would describe it as. Yeah. It was just like get off my land. Yeah, but yeah, it that's, was fantastic sign. How would you describe the color? Just black or any different from that? Gleaming, gleaming. Yeah, the cats I've seen, they they have a fun. You know, this shine on the coat. You get the rosettes as well that you can see um, on some of them. But that you need to be really up close for that. But uh, yeah, just in very good order. It, it didn't look hungry. That's for sure. Mm. It looked like it was very capable of looking after itself.
so many of the sightings, I would say the vast majority, and you're just emphasising this, these cats seem fit, healthy, not inbred, no sign of, of, of sort of weakness or imperfection. And I say to people when they ask me about the numbers, because of that, I think there must be at least 250, because if there were less, there would be inbred signals. And you've just described a perfectly fit mm. cat. I, I would say in, in this local area, I think there's a, up to five between here and where I live, and I live in Newant. Mm. And I've been trying to work out the boundaries, and I can more or less follow a male boundary from here to Newant. So I've got the line of it. So they're, they're here. Yeah, you know? And you're thinking a male one would have a larger territory than female ones, and all the ones you've seen black, aren't they? Although the puma, mountain lion ones, do get seen in the forested dean oh, yeah. as well, but yeah, you've yeah, just seen yeah. black ones, yeah. The odd thing was when we were with the last sighting I had with the thermal after it, because we, we, we stood there for quite a while and then we were, I, I was very excited. I lost the ability to tell left to right and right to left. I was, oh my God, it's there. It's left to right, right? No, right to left. And eventually I was able to say it went from left to right. But we, That's why Neil didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. You know, you're, the, the beauty of watching wildlife is that you're in the moment. You know, yeah. and, and people say, oh, why don't you take a photograph of it? Good luck. You try getting even a phone out, operating it. I had an otter run across in front of my car, and I had a phone and a camera, and it ran up the road, and I fumbled so much that I missed it. And I, it was there for maybe 20 seconds. So, yeah, it can be It's difficult. Okay, Neil, could we hear... Your most interesting sighting, because I know you've had a couple of others, but, I mean, the cub takes some beating. But let's hear another one of your encounters, if we could. I was um, driving my van, uh, going to a job early in the morning, uh, down towards Tetbury. I was coming down this, uh, this old B road. As I'm going around a right-hand bend, there's a track, an old gravel track going to somewhere. I caught sight of, well, a large black cat. Very, very big. Huge tail. I nearly crashed the van. It was a foggy morning, but at that point it was starting to clear. Unfortunately, there was a car behind me, so I couldn't just anchor on and, and stop and, and go back. The annoying thing was I had a dash cam going at the time, but um, unfortunately the only point forward, and um, it just didn't pick up far enough at the track to pick it up. But since then, I've, uh, I've bought another dash cam and got one uh, looking to the side, but obviously it's probably never going to happen ever again. But yeah, that was very, very uh, scary, to be honest with you. It looked a very powerful, very, very fit animal. That sighting is probably equivalent to most people's reports. The sort of short glimpse, the frustratingly short glimpse as you're driving the car and you can't really control the situation, even if you could control the situation much if you're, if you're stationary, which Alan has just said, if you're in the moment, you get too excited to sort of be composed and think it through properly. But... So that was just a few seconds and frustrating that you just saw it off to the side. Yeah, I had a side-on view of it, so I did see the whole length of the animal plus the very, very long tail. Um, mm. I did go up the road, turn around and come back and went up there, but there's no there's no prints for gravel, nothing, mm. nothing in sight, nothing like it's never existed, just vanish. So if I was a sceptic and said, oh, come on, Neil, that was a, a Labrador and a guy was walking behind it early in the morning and it was just off the lead, you're interested in big cats and you've just made that into a panther to suit your interests, how do you, how would you respond to that? I've had dogs all my life. I've had Labradors and this was no Labrador. Just much more longer. Labradors don't have a two-foot tail. It was very, very powerful-looking animal. It was definitely cat. They walked, walked like a cat, acted like a cat. It, it was a cat. There was no other, there's no way it was any dog. Absolutely, 100% no dog. Yeah, and that has driven you on to encourage your interest further. I mean, you already had an interest in the subject, but seeing things like that really do motivate you to get out and look for more. I was very interested years ago in, in the 80s when um, they had the Beast of Bodmin and things like this. I just thought it was an escaped animal and probably dead and or been caught. I did have a brief going with my wife's son. Um, we was walking in the woods looking for wild boar because at this point I didn't ever see one. We're talking about nine years ago. And uh, we had this rubbish little torch. And we've seen these big eyes, massive eyes. And we've seen loads of eyes, deer, boar, foxes. But these were huge, big yellowy eyes staring at us. 
and it was almost hiding behind a tree and, and getting down low behind branches and things. And um, he said, there's talk of panthers in this world. I thought, what? Well, this thing was actually creeping towards us. He got on a panic and we started walking away, but walking started getting faster and it turned into a run and, and I'm certainly not hanging around there on my own. It didn't threaten us. It didn't chase us. I think it was interested with us, but i never forget those eyes. They were like nothing I've ever seen. A bit like Alan was saying, it was caretaking its locality and checking up on you if it was a big cat. Yeah, I don't think they're out to harm anyone. I really don't. I think they're just more scared of us. I think they get interested and watch us. But Mm. apart from that, I don't think they're going to, you know, although I did get growled at once. I did come to a deer carcass in the dark. I did try putting a camera out there. My dog, little Jack Russell at the time, was acting very strange, like she's never acted. She was almost getting between my legs and always pushing me over I told her off to get away from me because I'm trying to get this camera up. And when she backed off and, and walked about 50, 60 foot away from me, whimpering and shaking, I thought, what's wrong with her? Well, um, as I'm trying to set this camera up, uh, I just had this humongous great, all I can say is a roar. If anybody's ever been to the, a lion encounter and things like that, or a big cat uh, sanctuary, when they've got them, that deep growl, you know, behind the cage, it almost resonates for your chest, you know. Well, I had that. It was nothing other than cat. I did panic and sort of back off. I should have looked for what my dog was telling me. Mm. But too interested with trying to get his camera up whilst it was getting pretty, pretty struggling to see how dark it was getting. But it didn't show itself. I was probably around about six, seven foot from it, I reckon, because the uh, the undergrowth and the, the bracken was so close. There's big holes, dark holes in it where animals had gone through. So it's probably warned me off of its, its dinner. I won't do that again. It all pointed to uh, to a cat kill. Yeah. Neil, you're talking about being close to these animals and they're sort of warning you off and stalking you and sussing you out. How does that make you feel? Excited, but it's very nerve-wracking. I mean, these animals is, like uh, Alan said, a very, very powerful, healthy-looking animal. If it wanted to, I don't think I would win a fight with it. But, like I said, I really don't think there's enough food out for them. I mean, there's so much roadkill... Rabbits, pheasants, deer, boar. There's enough. They don't need to hunt people. You enjoy that sense of risk, do you? We've discussed that on the podcast. I mean, what is it that allows you to try and get close to these animals? I've always been interested in animals in my life. I've always gone out and watched deer and birds. I used to be a ornithologist, young ornithologist club many, many years ago and things. So watching all these animals. But there's that element of the danger also a little bit of proving that they're out there and to get one on a camera would be you know an an actual close-up which is going to happen sooner or later i mean i have pictures but blurry not very good too far away not clear enough Mm. and we've got one of one running possibly we're going to have a really good closer scrutiny of that to see if it's worth sharing with the world aren't we in a few weeks time on a big screen with the right kind of equipment so it's intriguing. But yeah, so that drives you on. We'll come back to both of your views on this wider point in a minute. But we'll hear from one more sighting, if we may, Alan, if we could um, hear your sort of your second best encounter, if that's okay. My second best was my first, actually. And it was odd because it was it was told to me. And we had a phone call from the kids primary school that they were at and saying, don't walk to pick up the kids. There's been a sighting in the grounds of a of a big cat, and I was like, "Oh my God, behave!" You'd heard of the beast of the forest, you'd heard of all this sort of thing, and I thought somebody's seen a big tabby cat, and now they're they're overreacting. So I was like, "Oh my God!" So I said to my partner at the time, "Let's go. Come on, we'll walk up. I'm not. There's no cat. Behave." So we're walking up, and to the right of the school, there's a football pitch. And behind it, there's woodland. And as we're walking up, we're talking about it. And I look across to the football pitch. And there, standing, a cat. A big panther-looking cat. And I was like, oh, my God, that's a cat. And my partner was like, that's, that's the beast of the forest. That's the cat. That's the cat. And we couldn't really see it. It kind of walked up along the hedge line. We were looking in between two houses. So we walked up a bit further where we could see. And... Sure enough, it just walked up along the tree line, 
nonplussed, absolutely not phased. It was just plodding along, and we saw it, and it was clear as day. And then it just walked off into the woods. It just, it was so relaxed, I couldn't believe it. And I was like, oh, my God. And that was the one that kind of lit the fire. What do you think it was doing, just walking from A to B in its territory or anything else? Where that cat walked is where I think the territory line goes from where we're sat to over to my line, towards where I live in Newent. Mm-hmm. And I, that's the territory line that I have figured out, and that's where I saw the cat. Mm. So I think that's a territorial boundary. And it goes near a school? Yeah, yeah. They do in the wild, and there's been sightings related to me. I ask everyone I meet. I'm an industrial trainer, so I train a lot of people, and I always put into the conversation. I, I like big cats, and the amount of sightings I've had back, incredible. And people see them all over the place. Yes, it's interesting how many people are just waiting to be asked, isn't it? And I, I, I quite often get, I've never told anyone this before, you know, yeah. I, but I've seen one. Sure, and now's the right time to talk about it because there's people yeah. who want, are interested. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've, I've talked to guys, and, and I've had uh, three guys who were uh, farmers, and uh, they all had had the cat in the, in rifle sights. And one had said that he was out lamping one night, and he shone the torch on it, and these eyes, these massive saucer-like eyes, shone back. And they, when they looked at it, they thought, "Oh my God, it's a cat!" And he had it in the sights of the rifle. And it was just lovely because I I said, uh, why didn't you shoot it? And he said, it was doing my job for me, you know? And I just thought, what a lovely way to think. And it was a father and son who had seen it, and uh, it was just incredible. And he had seen it, that guy had seen it three times in his land. Yeah. It is interesting how many people uh, make the assumption that farmers and people from the game sector would automatically want to be hostile and shoot these creatures, and how many of them say very different things and are, and are very thoughtful about what the animals are doing in the ecosystem? Adamant. Adamant. They were not going to hurt that animal. No way. You know, they, and it was sort of the reverence they had for it as well, the respect for this apex predator on their land. And, yeah, so... Very interesting. Thank you. You're reminding me of one of the rural shows I did in the Forest of Dean where I sort of take information uh, reports from people and have a good conversation about it. We got a school cook, a lady who was a cook at school, and she said she closed up the canteen and went out the back way through the playing fields uh, at a time, I think it was everybody gone home or whatever, and she was the only one there, and she said there was a panther on the edge of the school grounds, nonchalantly confidently walking through and nobody she was the only one who saw it mm. wasn't trying to do anybody any harm it was on its way somewhere and she just had saw it yeah just just like perhaps the one you're talking about earlier it sounds uh, exactly the same yeah and it was just there was no rush it was just plodding along yeah how would you again how would you describe its size and color and form about the same size as the one previously good two and a half foot off the ground you know shoulder well sort of knee height i would say and three and a half foot long and the long tail that was the thing you know the side aside was just a long curling tail again fit happy healthy didn't seem to be any imperfections to it the ones you've seen alan do you think you might have seen the same one twice or more than once yeah yeah i do i think the cat i saw here is the same cat i saw over towards newant which would be what sort of 10 miles away yeah i think so Simply because th- that was the previous site, and that was my fourth site, and, and you talk about annoying sightings. I was driving to work one morning, and they were doing roadworks, and I, I was in a car convoy being led by a tractor through it. I looked over through the hedge, and there's a cat standing in the field. Again, just the side glimpse. It was sniffing the hedge. It had its head in the hedge, and it was sort of arching its back. It was sniffing up. But that was just a temporary, and I was in a convoy, and I couldn't go back, and I was like oh my, you know, I just want to stop and there was nowhere to stop. So I do think that there's a big meal that goes around. He definitely goes between here and Longholm and down towards Newt. You're assuming it's a male just because of the physical size of it? I find the scrapes on the same lines. I find scat, we find scat, yeah, we find scat yesterday, um, but I'm finding the scrapes in the same place and it's on the same tracks. And I'm thinking that's a territorial boundary being marked. Interesting. Again, answering the sceptics, how would you say you're distinguishing 
a scrape that a cat would make from something, a neat and tidy one that a dog might make with its back feet? Uh, the, the ones I've seen, you can definitely tell there's been claw marks in it. And the claw marks are super fine. The dogs are broad. These were um, so defined. And also the smell as well. There's no smell like a cat smell. A dog wouldn't mark its territory the same way. Also where I tend to find them tend to be high spots. They tend to be quite good spots. Yeah, there's a complete difference. Mm. You know, dogs dogs will do a quick scuff. These are these were well marked and laid out. And I've found two in the same point. And I've never one of the tracks that I have cameras on, I've never seen a boot track on. So it's not a dog. Interesting. People in the native countries would say if you're finding scrapes, that would be a good place to put cameras. Scrapes are pointed to cameras. Mm. Yeah. And that's where my cameras are. Yeah, very good. Well, good luck. What about tracking generally? I always say to people who think that I might be making bold claims about my tracking ability because I'm really rubbish at it, really, because I'm such an amateur and don't get the chance to practice tracking skills much, that actually what we rely on often is local people, informants and witnesses saying, I've seen one here or one I think regularly comes here. And then you can start tracking because you've got local information pointing you in the right direction. Do you start more like that, thinking what's local information pointing to? If you start anywhere in the Forest of Dean hoping to find signs, well, it's needle in a haystack. You've got to have some pointers to start mm. get you going. Absolutely. You know, it's the same as if you're wanting to find the best egg in the forest, you ask someone who who knows where it is, you know, if they can give you a heads up. So I'll talk to wildlife rangers, I'll talk to other people I see with cameras and just ask them and you talk about wildlife and the same with cats. And when you get a cat sighting, that's when you're hearing regular sightings, that's where you focus your, your time. And to be fair, locally there was a spate of sightings just before Christmas and that's where I went out. And that's actually where I find the scrape, one of the best scrapes I've ever found. I also find one of the best tracks I've ever found. The track was so fresh, I actually looked up and started to look around because it was it was just, it had been just there. You know, whether I was there about 8 o'clock in the morning, so it was that morning. And I remember looking up and thinking, oh, be careful, because it was on my own. So... Getting in that local knowledge is fantastic. Talking to people about it and not being afraid to talk to people. Too many people think you're, I don't care what people think. I know what I saw. I've watched wildlife all over the world. I've followed bears. I've followed wolves. I've followed killer whales. Everything I've done it. I've, and don't be frightened to talk about it because they're there. The amount of people I've talked to, and these aren't fantasists and they're not making this up to be heard. Or, you know, these are genuine people. And they come to me and they say, this is what I've seen. I think we've gone past the, the proven they're here. I think they're here. Personally, it's just about figuring where they are in, in the ecosystem. Mm. Trying to get uh, good information, presumably you do meet people, particularly if they're professionally involved in managing the countryside and managing the forests, who actually do keep quiet and keep it low-key and are very careful about whether they would, would want to say anything or reveal anything. And you also get people who think, blimey, this is just out of my comfort zone, you know, beyond what I want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and people are afraid of what's happened. You know, in the Forest of Dean, we have the wild boar that were reintroduced. The sensationalism that comes from that, oh, my, I was chased by a wild boar. Probably your dog wasn't under control that chased the boar and then it ran back to you. That's how... You, most of these encounters happen. So, but that'll make a front page. You imagine what would happen if, you know, oh, I saw a panther and there was photo evidence and things like that, how people would react to it. So I think they're trying to keep the lid on it that way because they don't want it to be so sensationalized. Mm. Hopefully things like this podcast are part of that process of what I call acclimatization and, and gently uh, becoming aware uh, and and understanding the behaviour of these shy, mostly shy, wary, stealthy creatures. Alan, let's assume that we're in a different situation and Britain knows there are big cats. We proved somehow that there are naturalising black leopards, pumas and lynx. And what would you do? Would you carry on trying to track them and trying to get evidence and understand them and or would you go at it with less intensity because there's nothing to prove no i'm not here to prove that they're here i know they're here i don't need to prove it to anyone else i know what i've seen i would keep studying them because i think they're fascinating and they're becoming native and they are 
in the ecosystem and they're an apex predator and we don't have any apex predators really you know fox isn't going to take out deer and things like that so i'll always be looking for them i think they're magnificent absolutely fantastic creatures they have such power they could kill us but they don't we'd be easy prey wouldn't we we would be you know people walk along with their eyes closed that's a People always say to me, you know, I've always had it said to me, why do you see so much wildlife? And it's because I'm looking for it. I'm constantly looking for it. I just, you know, I scan for it. But people do walk through. We, we were here last night um, with the thermal going around, and there's a guy walked through the forest, and he was on his phone, you know. They'll be first. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, the cats see us as gangling, upright apes that might injure them, and they've yeah. evolved not to automatically attack us. The thing about uh, apex predators is that, that they don't want to get injured. They need their, their speed, they need their strength to do what they do. So they don't go looking for trouble where they don't want to, you know, they don't want to injure themselves. So they're um, fantastic creatures, and long may they be here. Yeah. You said what I suspected, that it's an interesting subject and these are interesting animals in their own right, regardless of how much we know about them, to keep on studying them. A, is useful because we learn about behaviour, and B, it's just fascinating as a human being to be up close and, or perhaps put yourself in the position where you may be lucky enough to be up close to detect them in some way. Mm, absolutely. Just being out in nature is fine. You, you don't see a cat every time you go out. You just can't. But just sitting in the woods, just putting a hide up, just sitting in the woods, just chilling. You know, you have a cup of tea or whatever, and you're just sitting there. It's the best thing in the world. It, it, that's my favourite thing in the world to do, is sit in a hide. Some days I don't see anything, and, you know, some days that's fine. You just needed to sit in the woods for a day. Uh, some days you'll... I've had some amazing encounters. You know, I've been face-to-face with a stag who I knew was on the other side of a hedge, and he knew I was on the other side of the hedge, but I had a ghillie mask on. And as I came up to look at the hedge, he did too. And we were there. We were face to face from each other, you know. And that, it's just incredible. I had a stag jump over a hide once that was being chased by a dog. You know, I roared to a stag one night and uh, he roared back and we had a conversation. My missus thinks I'm quite mental. Uh, but I would do. I roared at a stag. However, what I had forgot was that there were other stags, and I got back to the gate and I roared, and didn't realise there was a stag about five feet away from me, and he let out a massive roar, and I uttered the fantastic words, "It's me." thinking that the stag would recognise that I was a person. But I absolutely jumped out of my skin. It was pitch black and I let this roar out. Oh my, he got me. So, but that's just, that's the whole nature. Nature's fantastic, you know, from, and we fit into it as well, so. Yes, it's like some of the funny scenes we see on trail cameras where pheasants and deer and foxes come up to investigate the trail camera with the smell and the click noise or whatever yeah. that's attracted them. And then sometimes the human face can have that. You're saying that you've had that as a human face watching oh, yeah. it up close. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the stag that he was looking at me, I had a, a mask on. So it was a camouflage mask that I wore when I'm on the hide. And uh, you could see he knew something was there. But he couldn't figure out what it was, you know. He and he was sniffing and he was looking, and then he just lovely stag behaviour. He just he just gave a massive blow, you know, just oh, like that. I don't need you, and he just wandered off, and it was yeah, false alarm. Yeah, it was like no, nah, you're not insignificant. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. Yeah. I'm king here. You're not. Yeah, yeah sure. So. Yeah, and Alan, you meet lots of people in your profession now who you're taking out to the woods and the forest and the great outdoors to get these sort of closer vibes with nature. And we live in a very materialistic world when we've got all our gadgets and everything we need and our creature comforts. Do you think people really get excited by this real close contact, profound experience with nature? I have had in the, in the past. Yeah, when people see the woods and they're, they're not educated, and that's fine, that happens. People don't know and... It's very hard to learn it. You know, you watch programs on TV and sometimes they talk to you like you're an idiot and people want to come out into the woods and say, what's that? And you say, well, that's an oak tree and that's what they made in the pool, the boats that went out and, you know, the HMS Victory and stuff like that was built from it and you think, oh my God, and you have that connection and then you start seeing, but then you show them a print and you say, well, look at this print. Um, what can you tell? Oh, well, it's got like two points on Well, that's a deer. But if you look closer, you can actually tell them about the shading on the edges, 
And you can say, well, that deer stopped here and looked that way. And if you look at the print, you can see it has a taller side on one side and you know that the body's turned. And then they, oh my God. And then they get it. And you see it clicking. Reading the signs of nature. Um, yeah. And they, you know, why is the deer going there? And so now if we, we find the track, what is it doing? Why is it going where it's going? Is it just plodding? Is it feeding? Is it going for a drink? And then you see the pieces building. In the past, I've had phone calls at sort of seven o'clock at night when I've meant to be home sort of four o'clock. But because the group has got, or the, somebody within that group has got it, and you just see the excitement and the magic, she'll be ringing saying, is everything all right? You were meant to be home three hours ago. And it's lovely because you, you get that and you see people understand. And we need more people to understand wildlife in, in, in general. You know, it's, it's not just trees to be cut down. You know, there is an ecosystem here. Wonderful. Neil, that's same question to you. You know, we're 20 years time and we know and we're proving that the big cats of all types are naturalising here. There's nothing to prove. Would you still go out and do this as often as you do? Absolutely. Yeah. It's enjoyable and um, you always got more to learn. Every day is a school day. You know, you might look at birds and you watch buzzards and then... Um, one day it'll just act more different than what it's ever done before. And you think, well, why, why is this? This is new. You know, you thought you knew everything about buzzards, but no. So constantly learning about an animal that's incredibly difficult to detect and spot anyway. So it often it's all the other things that happen when you're looking for a big cat anyway, all the other nature that you hear and detect. They're a very elusive animal. I've had people say to me, yeah, you put these trail cameras out. And you get nothing. And I say, and they, when they say, well, why don't you bait it and put some on it? You know, put meat there. I've done all this. Many people's done this. Half the time, nothing will come and get it. Other times you get foxes. And then sometimes it'll just disappear. And the cameras pick nothing. Very weird. So um, we've tried it all. It's been in the right place at the right time. Most of the time for it. Alan, is there anything else you'd like to say? There is a Facebook group. Big Cat Sightings, Farsadine, that I run, and you're always welcome. And we're always looking for people who are willing to go out. We're not a closed group. If people want to come and join us for a walk, by all means, come with us. If people want to come out on an evening, come out. If I can educate someone, fine. They'll probably teach me something. I'm no expert. That is not a word I will ever use about myself in wildlife. Because you just don't know. Like Neil said, every day is a school day. So, yeah, uh, Big Cat Sightings, Farsadine, please join. We'll put a link on the website under episode 19. Quickly, Alan, uh, before we had the microphones on, we were talking about using callback techniques. I mean, Neil demonstrated his distressed rabbit-type noise, but you can use other calling techniques. you yeah. thought about that, haven't you? Yeah, I did. Um, so there's apps that you can get that go on your phone, and there's different sorts of call on there. So there's one for England. Um, you get them all over the world. Um, it is an American technique, but... It's an app, and I have a very, very long USB cable, and I hang a, a Bluetooth speaker connected to it up in a tree, and I'll play calls through that. So predator calls work really well. You do bring in a lot of foxes, and I use the deer calls as well. So the, there's different ears, and especially during the rut. We have different techniques for bringing in the, the deer to you as well to get a good photograph. And what do you think about baiting trail cameras, Alan? Is that something you do? And do you think there are sort of can be risks or unintended consequences of that? I sometimes feel that you're risking bringing dogs and then their owners to the cameras. The cameras yeah. can be stolen. You're also risking, unless you've got permission, you're risking disease and that sort of thing. I think you've got to be careful with some of that, yeah. the protocols. You know, especially you know, if you were to put, say, ham down and a wild boar at it, then you're risking swine flu. You know, because that's how that gets transmitted is through the meat. So I think there's too much emphasis on trail cameras. They're a tool, but they're not the be-all and the end-all. I have them out. And to be honest, I enjoy seeing the wildlife on them just as much as seeing a cat on them. I haven't seen a cat on mine yet, but time will tell. But yeah, they're, they're a tool. Don't rely on them. The only way you see it is being in the woods or being where they are. That's how you get to see them. Thank you. Neil, same question to you. Any further sort of points that you'd like to make on the subject that we've not covered? Well, Alan just made a point of, which I should have mentioned, if you do bait cameras, don't put just normal meat and, and things in the supermarket on things. Uh, when I bait them, it's usually roadkill, a rabbit or something natural. Like you said, uh, Alan said, if you put bacon or, or anything, uh, ham, or you can uh, cause diseases. 
got to be careful. Yeah, if anybody's interested, it's a very interesting subject to get into. It's, you're not going to go out and um, expect to see a cat, although some people do get lucky. It's a long haul searching for these cats, and many people may never, ever, ever see them. It does teach you a lot of patience. And I have a very patient wife. I was going to say, you people are lucky to have supportive families and loved ones who put up with knowing that you're going to be away for some time. Yeah, glad to get rid of me. Yeah. Okay, time for our word of the week. And in fact, it's two words. And I'm very grateful to Alan for suggesting these. And the words of the week are diagonal walking. And that's about the locomotion of cats when they walk because they can trot and canter and run and run at different speeds. But most of their lives, they spend their time nonchalantly, confidently walking through their territory. And it's mostly a diagonal walking stride with the front foot leading in unison with a diagonal opposite back foot. So you get a diagonal parallel stride pattern, not a directly level parallel stride pattern. Alan, is that right? Is that what you meant when you suggested diagonal walking? And do you see prints to that effect? Yeah, that's it. There are other animals that diagonal walk. So dogs and deer will diagonal walk as well. But yeah, that's pretty spot on. The easiest way to describe it would be like to watch a toddler crawl along the floor. Sort of left hand, right leg moves, and then the opposite of that. And you get a diagonal track. And how often do you see that? Because often when we're, all of us, I think, when we're looking for cat prints, more in hope than expectation, unless we've been pointed to something possible by a landowner, we only find one or two and we frustratingly don't see a stride pattern. But how often have you found a good, what you think is a stride pattern or more than just the one? It's rare. I find a couple, but they are rare. Ideally, snow is the best thing to track in, I find. They are very light in their feet. And they try to avoid muddy places, I've found. Mm. Um, so you will get the odd one on soft mud, but then it disappears into the ether. Yes. Which is the nature of the beast that we're trying to find. Sure. Some of the best trackers can sort of work out what happens in between the loss of the prints, which is, of course, you need great experience and judgment for. Just knowing where the cat's thinking, what it's doing, what it's wanting to do, and trying to figure out its likely path to fill in the gaps. Yes. And, of course, that diagonal parallel pattern you get uh, the more faster they go the more that gets messed up and the more condensed and scattered they get so they're only really that diagonal parallel pattern when they're walking at a sort of casual speed faster they get Mm. the more it's messed up yeah and they will sometimes not diagonal walk even when they're walking that will break up as well depending on the sort of terrain they're in Thanks for that, Alan. And what I would say about one individual footprint, paw print, is that when you look at them, and it's an obvious cat one, they are very much on a diagonal themselves, are very much offset compared to a dog's print, I always find. Obviously, there's a leading toe, a clear cat print has a wide splay, but one of the front pads digits is normally pronounced in front of the other. But Mm -hmm. they're also offset. A dog's one is absolutely symmetrical on a sort of vertical axis. You can just fold it over. Cat's one, you can't do that. We'll put some diagrams up on the website for episode 19. So if you go to bigcatconversations.com website and look at the references and links page and scroll down to episode 19, we will put Neil's cub photo that he's agreed for that to go on. We'll put a picture of the stride pattern and a paw print. And we'll also put some photos of what's coming next because we now have a bonus clip because we're recording this a week and a half after the main recording in Alan's camper van in the Forest of Dean. Because Alan has got some news about a very significant, interesting find about two or three hundred metres from where we were parked up in the Forest of Dean doing that recording. Alan, please tell us what you found and all about it. Okay, we have sort of been trying to establish the route that the cats take. And we were following back through to a stand of small trees that we'd find some scat on. And I saw a game trail going down to some water. So I thought that's, that's a likely place to go down. And we were down on the water. And then a friend who was with us said, oh, I can see a wild boar. We kind of looked down, it was there, and it was uh, jammed in between two trees. It was a dead boar, quite good size. I would say coming into the second year, definitely, of a, a female. I know that because I used to keep pigs. Mm. The first thing I wanted to make sure it was actually uh, dead and not injured, so we approached it with caution. And then as we got to it, we noticed that it had been attacked from the back. We noticed that the back legs were ripped and there was a gaping hole in its neck. 
We then rolled it over and found a classic cat kill, completely eaten from back to front, through the stomach taken away and then all the major organs removed. Nice crunch pattern through the rib cage and two massive pierced necks. Well, three massive pierced necks on the neck, two on one side and one on the other. Looking at the tooth pattern, this is a big cat, so I don't think it's really going to struggle too much with the size of the animal that it took. I know they do take them in the wild, so uh, I can't see why they wouldn't take them in the forest. Looking at it, it's a perfect place for an ambush. What I think's happened, it broke cover, and there's cover pretty close to it. Come down for a drink, and then ambush. I don't think it was killed very far away from where we found it. Looking at The other thing I want to do is just go up the brook a bit and see where I think it was actually killed. Because you think it got washed down in the brook, didn't you, a bit? I think it was killed and then got washed over. Oh, I see. Got you. In the high levels of the flood, yeah. Yeah, I think. And I think that's maybe why the cat hasn't gone back to it, because it's kind of lost the scent of it. I think the fact that you've got the predation marks, the dispatch marks, as well as the consumption, means that you've covered both sides, because a sceptic might say, oh, well, a very powerful dog did that, but if a very powerful dog dispatched the boar, it probably wouldn't eat it out, and several foxes wouldn't eat out in the pattern that you've shown on the photos. So people can judge for themselves on the photos. I think it's a very good piece of evidence. And we have had one piece of boar evidence in the past in the tooth pit work in um, episode nine we described the tooth marks on the bones in the investigation that royal agricultural university in sirencester are leading and one of the tooth marks the tooth pits the triangular carnassial imprints on a bone is from a wild boar's jaw mandible bone found in the forest of dean that was validated in the lab and with the high-powered microscope as well so this is the second good big cat prey item wild boar that has been discovered very significant find for you and neil and your colleague alan it was we had found everything else we had find scratch marks we'd find prints we'd find scat we'd seen it but we weren't getting any other evidence i was actually thinking that about two days before why aren't i finding evidence where is the evidence where is the kills and yeah definitely one of my best finds today absolutely classic cat kill And you were saying to me just before this interview that you went out, was it last night, and heard something? Yeah, when we went out and when we found it, it was good. I had camera with me, but I didn't have any sort of tape measures. So I want to take some good dimensional measurements of it and get those on camera. We did that, and uh, my wife volunteered to come with me, and we had the dogs with us, so we were making plenty of noise. And we'd done all the measuring, and we're walking back and heard a cat. I'm not a great animal impersonist, but I heard a and then we heard splash splash. My wife said, that was an angry cat. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. But the splash splash sounded like it jumped the river. Interesting. That we were walking alongside. So it was loud enough for us to hear over sort of background traffic noise. Thank you. I don't want to raise hopes, but you have set up some cameras in that area. So can't wait till you go back. Yeah. And I think what we'll do, we'll set more perimeter cameras up in the area. So we have a few closer and I want to put a few further away. Give us as much chance as possible. Yeah, very good. I mean, I was thinking after we did the recording, Alan, we were meant to be talking about tracking and using one's own skills to commune with nature and understand nature. And we actually have ended up talking quite a lot about technology, haven't we? Trail cameras, thermal Mm. cameras. I mean, it's the nature (laughs) of the game, isn't it? You need your human instincts. And you're tracking you use abilities. whatever you have. Yes, yeah. But that's, so I think, use the tools for the job. There's a range of tools for the job. And it's using them all wisely, isn't it? I mean, you know, each tool should have a purpose. And I think people are very over-dependent on the trail cameras themselves. Yeah, you, you've got to narrow it down. You've got to use your skills, use the track and use the signs and any recent sightings and, and try and figure out where it's going, why it's there and what it's going to do next. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a nice coincidence between the type of noise you heard last night and what you described on the thermal camera, because you described on the thermal camera more of a puma mountain lion type cat, and you Mm. heard last night more of a felis puma type of noise. Is that right? Yeah, and the night we saw it, we could hear whistling like a mountain lion would do. Interesting. Okay. Now, the distance width of the, the separate two canines that seem to make the dispatch mark through the skin of the wild boar are scarily big aren't they they are a large tom whatever presumably 
everything pointing to quite a sizable cat as big as i've seen there's a view that something that big could even be larger than a, a leopard or a puma but leopard or puma the normal candidate cats and i just wanted to use this chance to explain why we don't think most of us who look at this topic don't think there's jaguars here uh, breeding and naturalizing because of course you can get black panther jaguars black jaguars black jaguars have got shorter tails and normally the black panther-like cats have got very long astonishingly long tails as reported by witnesses which would imply black leopards jaguars are quite specialist more specialist than leopards in that they like waterside environments they do swim and these cats are very rarely reported swimming the other thing Mm -hmm. is that black jaguars don't breed on black 100% like two black leopards do. Black jaguars, if we had black jaguars here, we would see some spotted ones if they were breeding because about 25% of the offspring, the litter from black jaguars, actually revert to the spotted type. So it all adds up more to leopards rather than jaguars as the main black panther cat here that seems to be naturalising. Was the view through the thermal, did that seem a very large individual? It was a very quick sighting. It came out, poked its head on the road, and then disappeared in. But, yeah, I would say yeah. uh, it was a large cat. It, it throws up all sorts of things. Is there more than one in that area? Or a different species? Is there a leopard and is there a puma in there? So always looking for answers. That's what makes it interesting, isn't it? But um, I think things like this do drive you on, don't they, I should think? Definitely. And hearing it last night, that was pretty cool as well. Yeah. yeah. And just to hear the splash splash, it was a very definite. It was something jumped the river. I didn't see it, but it didn't sound like a deer scrambling up. It sounded like a, a leap and a two steps, both just going in the water. It was just like a splash splash. Yeah. And it, but just to hear it after that as well, it was like it just said, oh, for God's sake, <laughs> and then leapt away. Yeah. My wife just said, that, that's an angry cat. And Alan, is there much on that carcass to bother returning to? I don't think they do often bother returning to carcasses that are well eaten out. But it's always worth putting a camera, watching a carcass. Even to watch the scavenging is interesting and educational, but you never know. I think you do have to put a camera on a carcass. That's the plan. The plan is to secure it. I want to go back one more time and I'll leave it for a couple of months. So it can't be yanked away by foxes and things? Yeah, just secure it so we don't have the bones. Yeah, do you think there's a risk that dogs will be attracted to it and you'll get loads of dogs around it? No, on the path they choose to go left and we're right. From being there the last few days, I haven't seen any fresh people tracks anyway, so... Great. And we'll put two or three photos of the carcass and those canine impacts on it on the website for people to see, and that's um, really nice of you, Alan. So really well done, Alan. That's very encouraging. Thank you. Great bit of addition to the show, so thanks a lot. Okay, I think we're going to close it there. We've raised over lots of interesting points, but Neil and Alan, thank you very much for being on Big Cat Conversations. Thank you very much. Cheers, Rick. Thank you. Okay, a couple of quick messages before we close the show. And first of all, can I thank all the Facebook groups, as usual, who are helping promote the show. It's really important and really grateful for it. And thank you for those of you who have put nice reviews on the Apple system. Again, those really help the profile of the show. Also, a big thanks to people who have sent in reports. I always respond, so you've heard from me direct, but one of the new reports just in has come from a police officer in West Berkshire. And this incident must have been within a mile or so from where Mary, who was in the pub in episode 18, when she described her Black Panther sighting in the fairly open downland landscape of West Berkshire. And the police officer's report, which has come in this week, and I'm talking first week of March, and his description was of a small and presumably a young lynx. He said, I would describe the cat as very thick-set, thick legs, short stubby tail, long mottled grey coat, and the size of a small terrier dog, or just slightly smaller. I didn't see any pointed ears, but the sighting was literally a few seconds, but it was with his colleague, and they both saw it. Splendid to have a police officer's account. Thank you very much for that one. Personally, I've received a good many reports from police in the past, both off-duty officers, on-duty officers, and retired officers, and... I think I've mentioned before that we hope to do an episode this year featuring one or two retired police officers who have had good experience in their careers dealing with big cat reports. So more about that when we've got it planned and scheduled. 
And before we go, just a reminder that there is now a really high quality Big Cats podcast from Australia. If you Google it or do a podcast search for Missing Panther podcast, you'll get to it. There are two excellent episodes so far. And as we keep saying, there are lots of parallels between Britain and Australia on this subject. So enjoy Missing Panther. Now, for next time's episode, we are immediately north of the Forest of Dean, into Herefordshire and Shropshire-Staffordshire borders. We'll be talking about a close-up mother and cub sighting that our guest had, and about his encounter with a black panther in a Herefordshire woodland. And in that incident, he did actually restrain his dog and take a photo. So we'll hear all about that, and we'll have a photo of that on the website scheduled with the episode. Righto, thanks for listening. Take care, everyone, and all the best.